pastor um, and a beautiful family. He has a beautiful family, Heather, um, which he, she's the best part of that. And the kids, uh, somebody's going to tell you, um, Heather and, and uh, Josiah and Grayson. And, you know, Joel's one of those guys that um, that God brings into your life every so often and you get the privilege of just pouring into and, and to know that it's kind of like a Paul-Timothy relationship. I don't claim to be Paul, but it has those elements of it. And, and not only have I had the privilege of pouring into him, but, but that's been reciprocated as well. He's poured into me as well. I, I feel like that I'm a better pastor, a better leader, a better person because Joel has invested in me as well. And so you're blessed. He's a man of integrity. Um, he is a man who loves Jesus with all of his heart. He's going to preach the truth of God's word. And um, it is just a joy to see him serving this way. It, it, when he left our church, um, I told him that I was going to kill him and uh, repented of that. And so because he was so good at what he was doing and we've been together on ministry in ministry for almost 10 years uh, hired him when i was at a church in texas and and so it was hard to see him leave but i knew god had even told me before i mean even joel i knew that god was preparing him for this and uh, i knew that the kingdom would be advanced as a result of him preaching the gospel and leading the church and so i think that's everything you told me to say joel let me make sure i got all that right down but um no in all sincerity man i love you brother and i i'm so proud of you and it is a joy to be with you at um, Grace Fellowship. Um, so uh, this week I'll tell a little more about my family. I'm married. I've been married for 25 years. I have a daughter that's 23. She's married. Um, broke my heart when she got married last summer. But in a ways it was awesome because I'm not paying her bills anymore. So that's really cool. Um, but uh, And then I have a son who is uh, 19. is a sophomore in college. And I have a son who's 15 who thinks he's a sophomore in college, and, uh, he, um, but uh, they're incredible uh, kids. We've been blessed and uh, make our home in Hot Springs, Arkansas, where I pastor Crossgate Church. So just a little bit about me, but tonight, today we want to make it about Jesus, right? And so I'm excited to, to share with you, um, I believe, what God has been laying on my heart. Um, I'm just going to just pray. I know, I know Emily's prayed, but I want to pray again, if, I would, if you would, just bow with me as we jump into um, what God has to say this morning in his word. So God, we come before you. And we're asking, Lord Jesus, as we have, um, Lord, sung about awakening. And I really believe, God, that there's anything that needs to take place in our world today, in our culture, in our nation. God, it is an awakening. God, I, I know that before there's an awakening, there has to be a shaking in the church. God, for those of us who profess Jesus as Savior, that, that you must, Lord, shake us and bring us to a place where we realize that, God, we are we, we are broken before you as well, and the only way that we are made whole is through your son, Jesus. And God, you desire for us to live holy lives as believers in Christ. In this dark world, you have placed us strategically as light to shine the glorious light of your gospel in this place. And Lord, I pray that you would revive your church. God, we need to be shaken. And I pray for these few services that we have today. And tomorrow night and Tuesday night, God, that you would speak, that you would rend the heavens as your word says in Isaiah, and you would come down, and that we would be like brushwood, and you would set us ablaze for your glory. So, God, we're praying that you would meet with us in these, in these moments and challenge us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to First Peter. That's where we're going to be really for um, today and Monday night and Tuesday night. First um, Peter chapter one, and there's a reason for this. As I was praying about God, what are you wanting to say? What is it you're wanting to do specifically in the lives of people at Grace Fellowship? Um, 
And I really believe that what God's wanting to say to you and what God is wanting to do in your life is what He's saying and what He's doing in people's lives all over the world. It's been incredible to see what's taking place in our culture. Um, this is perhaps the darkest I've ever seen it in my lifetime. I mean, I'm 46 years of age. Some of you uh, are younger. Some of you are older. And maybe you would give your perspective on that. But I've never seen it as dark as it is in our world, it seems. It's so broken. We know that our world is broken because of sin. But when you think of what's taking place recently with the Supreme Court decision that came down with, with the issue of same-sex marriage, and when you see what's been taking place with violence, when you see what's taking place with anarchy in our culture, when you see what's taking place with Ashley Madison, the breakdown of the home and the breakdown of marriages, when you see what's taking place in our culture and just um, this incredible defiance against God, it's as though our culture has shaken our fist in the face of God and said, we really don't care who you say you are, we're going to live how we want to live. And I truly believe, I really believe that what God is doing, what God is doing is he's stepping back. Because we know that part of the judgment of God is him uh, pouring out his judgment upon those who are sinful because of sin. But we also know in Romans it says that he will step back. And he allows us to experience the consequence of our own sinful choices. And I believe he stepped back. In America specifically, I believe he's stepping back. And part of it's because we as believers have not stepped up. And now, that being said, God stepping back, there are some things that are happening in our culture today. And the question is, what are we going to do? What is going to be our response to this? If God is stepping back, what, how are we going to respond to this? And so, when we, when we think about this culture and the darkness that exists, God has called us to be light. He's called us to be salt. Now, when we get into this text of 1 Peter, I'm going to give you a little context here because it's not any different in that day with Peter. What we're seeing happen today in our culture is not any different than what they were experiencing in this time. Peter is writing to a group of Christians, and we're going to see this in just a few moments as we read the text, that are, who have been scattered into what's modern-day Turkey. And he's writing to a group of, of believers, and he's wanting to encourage them and give them hope to know how to live in the life that they're living that was under incredible duress and persecution. But also to say, we, we're not, we are not meant for this world. We have been created to spend eternity with our Father in heaven. There is a world that is to come. And really, for us, we live in that tension between two worlds. The world we live in now and the world that is to come. And we live in that tension. And so the question becomes, how do we live in this world awaiting the world that is to come? And Peter is addressing that. Now, he understood about persecution. You talk about a guy who really had a lot of progress and maturing from the time that he was with Jesus to when he wrote this letter. Peter has been, he has matured now. He has been growing deeply in his faith. He went from being a coward to being courageous. And that's what God does for us through the Holy Spirit. You see, he makes us courageous, standing firm in our faith. Peter was willing to die for Christ. And it, they tell us, um, historians tell us that Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't want to be, he didn't want to be martyred and cru crucified or killed the same way Christ was. He didn't feel worthy to die the same way Jesus did. So they asked, he asked to be crucified upside down. This guy knew what it meant to face persecution. And he's writing to a persecuted people. He's writing this letter at the time when Nero was emperor of Rome. Now, I don't know if you know a lot about history. Some of you may love history. I love history. And I love Roman history and Greek history because it, 
it kind of intertwines into the biblical narrative and what we hear and what we see. And you, it, it, it's just, it makes things so, when you see the context, so if you understand what's going on in the scripture, it really is a beautiful thing. But Nero was the emperor of Rome. And Nero was one of the, the most, the, one of the cruelest emperors that had ever reigned in Rome. In AD 64, you may remember in study of world history that there was a fire in Rome. It destroyed most of Rome, if not almost all of it. And some people have said that Nero was one who instigated this, that really caused the fire or started the fire in Rome. And the reason why is because he was an egomaniac. I mean, he, he was all about himself as most emperors were. And so some people said that he set Rome ablaze so that he could big build bigger palaces for himself and a much grander Rome. But he also was into persecuting Christians, even executing them, as though it was sport. And what he would do was just beyond our thought and our imagination. It reminds me a lot of what we've seen in the news, even with this, this radical Islamic terrorist group, ISIS, uh, in that... He had a garden, Nero did, and at night, in order to light up his garden, it has been recorded by Tacitus, who was, a, who was a historian, that said that he would take Christians, he would impale them, and then he would light them on fire, and they would light his garden. This was a brutal tyrant. And so this is the culture that the Christians are living in. And so now Peter is saying, in light of all that's going on in this dark culture, this dark world that you're living in, I want to give you something to hold on to. I want to help you know how to live in this world. And, and, and how do we live with this tension between two worlds, in this world and the world that's to come? I want to share with you how do we live. And so that's where we're going to go this morning. So look at First Peter chapter 1. We're going to begin um, reading verse 1 through verse 12. And listen to what Peter writes. He says, to those or Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are the elect exiles. Now, think, listen to the words here, because the words are important. To those who are the elect exiles of the dispersion, that means the scattering, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. He has called us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, it's undefiled, it is unfading, it's kept for you in heaven, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring that person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you. And the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angel, angels long to look. 
And so Peter begins this letter by exhorting uh, and encouraging Christians who are being persecuted, who've been scattered throughout all the known region into the modern day area of Turkey. And he's encouraging them saying, listen, I want to share with you something. You guys are chosen people. You are the elect of God. Now, we could dive into that a lot. We don't have time to get into that. But here's what I will tell you. He's speaking specifically to those who are believers in Christ, saying, you are the elect. You've been chosen. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Salvation is nothing you and I initiate. God initiates salvation. There is nothing we do to earn salvation, deserve salvation. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves saved. God initiates salvation. He draws us to himself. He chooses us by His foreknowledge. He has chosen those who are believers in Christ. I can't explain that because I can't explain the mind of God. But here's what I know is true. He's writing to these believers. So Peter's writing in a very dark time, and he's wanting to encourage them how to live in this life while awaiting the salvation that's to come at the appearing of Christ. So that's where we are at this. But he shares this perspective that I think could easily get lost. And this is what I want you to understand. He's basically saying to these Christians, you need to understand what's going on. There's something greater that's happening and something more glorious that is to come. That's where he's getting with, going with this. And as followers of Christ, we need to understand how to live in this world while we wait for the world that is to come. We've got to know how to live today. And in order to, for that to happen, we have to have the right perspective. The way to have the right perspective is to be in the right position. I want to explain what I mean by this. Because... Your, your perspective is affected by your position, and it gives you understanding. When I was living in Dallas, um, I, I would love to go to all of the pro sporting events. I'm not a Cowboys fan. If you're a Cowboy fan, I'm sorry. We pray for you. I'm a Steelers fan, and which that's kind of a heartbreaking thing right there. I know. Sorry. But nonetheless, we'll move on. So I love going to athletic you know, events, and I to go see the Mavericks play. I love the Dallas Mavericks, and I love hockey. Now, I've, I've grown up in Arkansas. I was born and raised in Arkansas. Hockey was not a popular sport, and it is not a popular sport in Arkansas just because it doesn't get very cold at times, um, and to try to find a pond to ice skate on would not be a very smart thing in Arkansas. So, so hockey wasn't a big thing there, but I loved hockey. There was something about it because my grandmother, when I was younger, uh, that was back when you got like four channels, and occasionally they have a hockey game on, and my grandmother loved hockey. Because she loved to watch him get in fights. My grandmother was a feisty lady. And so we would watch that one time that hockey would come on TV. And so I guess that kind of got me into that. But I also love things that are fast-paced and it's physical. I mean, when you go to a hockey game, I mean, you see how, how quick they are and, and how much contact they have. I mean, I love it. It's just, I mean, what is there not to like about hockey, right? So, so I, I would love to go to these games. And, and what would happen is I would buy tickets to go to Stars games. I had a chance to go to several of the Stars games. And I would buy tickets typically in the cheap seats, which are high up. Or when people would give me seats, um, tickets, it would typically be in the mezzanine, which was a little bit higher up, about midway up. And we would, I would sit up there, and I'd watch the game. And it was awesome. But there was a lady in our church. Her name was Ruby. And she worked at American Airlines Arena. And she told me, she said, if you ever go to a Mavs game or to a Stars game, after the first period, come down to where my section is, and I'll find you a seat. Well, her section at hockey games was center ice. It was awesome. And so so I would come down to the first period, and I would go down, and she would find me a seat. I'm talking four or five rows up, center ice. And it changed 
everything. I mean, because you got to you got to see them skate, and you saw how big these guys were. I mean, up high they were big, but down below they were massive, and they were incredibly athletic, very agile. They could skate. They were, I mean, they were incredible athletes. And you'd see somebody check them up against that glass, and the glass would shake, and it was like you could feel it. And then you'd hear them talking to one another, and they were not blessing one another. They weren't talking about their mother nicely. I mean, it was just, it was not, though that was kind of the part that was not the greatest, but, but you were down and you felt the tension of it and you saw it and I mean, it changed everything. And, and that's what I loved about hockey is I love the fact that, that, that when I went down there and saw it and I was able to be centerized, a few rows up, it changed my perspective. And the same thing's true in life. Here's what I want you to understand that our position affects our perspective and our perspective shapes understanding. You see, my position when I was higher up gave me a whole different perspective and gave me a different understanding. I kept saying to myself as a kid, I would have loved to play hockey, right? But when I was moved down to center ice, four rows up, I was thinking, I'm so glad I didn't play hockey. I mean, because, you know, I've not always been this massive man that you see before you today, right? So that being said... It changed my whole perspective, and it changed my understanding. I began to understand the game a little bit better and how incredible these athletes were and how tough they were. Well, to understand what's going on in the world, here's what you need to know. If we're going to understand what's taking place in this world, we've got to position ourselves under the authority of Christ and His Word. That's where we have to position ourselves. When we look at this world, we look through the lens of Scripture. We position ourselves under His authority. And when we pour over the Scriptures, specifically in what Peter's saying, we begin to gain a true perspective that shapes a right understanding regarding this world that we live in and the world that's to come. So how do we live in light of that tension? The world that we live in and the world's to come. How do we live in this world? Well, we've got to have a right perspective. And I, I put this up here. It's pretty wordy, but I want you to catch this because he says this. First, uh, Peter says this in, in the first few verses of this. He gives us the right perspective. And here's the perspective. He tells us who we are in Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, you need to understand this. This is who you are, and it should give you a proper perspective. Here's what he's saying. By the sovereign grace of God, you have been chosen by God to be a people who are set apart. That's a beautiful thing. That God has chosen you by his grace and his mercy. He has chosen you to set you apart. And he sets you apart by his spirit so that we can live in obedience to Christ, displaying a life that's been rescued by God's great salvation. That's really what Peter's saying in the first few verses of that. When he's saying to the the elect exiles of this dispersion, he says, it's according to the foreknowledge of God in the sanctification of the spirit. That means he sets you apart to to do what? To be obedient to Jesus Christ. Knowing that we have been sprinkled by His blood, we have been made righteous because of what Christ has done, not what we've done. Whenever the, uh, someone was a leper, they would typically sprinkle blood on a leper and it would, it would be a symbol of cleansing. And the truth of the matter is that we are sinners and as we come to Christ, confessing Him as Savior and Lord, we surrender our life to Him. His shed blood covers our sin. We just took communion, which is a beautiful picture of what Christ did for us. When we take the bread and we dip it in the juice, right? It is symbolic of the fact that Jesus' blood has been shed for us and that we have been made clean by the blood of Christ. So that's really what, what Peter's saying. He said, you need to have a right perspective. You're chosen by God. You're set apart by God to be obedient to God, 
displaying the light of Christ in this dark world. So he's setting this up. As we're laying this foundation, he's setting this up saying, you've got to have a right perspective because your right perspective is going to give you an understanding of how to live in this world. It's something important. You need to understand that as well as I. So with the right perspective comes right understanding. So here's what we can understand. I'm going to give you just a few things of what we can understand from this text and how to live in this world. Here's what we need to know. When I, when I have a right perspective of who I am in Christ, when you have a right perspective of who you are in Christ, if you have a relationship with Him, here's what you need to understand about this world. This world is not my home. When I realize who I am and who God's called me to be, I realize that this world that I live in and that you and I live in, this is not our home. It was incredible how Jonathan and Emily just saying that. just was a beautiful song. This is not our home. We are, we're, vag- we're vagabonds here. We're, just, we're passing through. We're exiles in this world, passing through. And as we pass through, here's what I pray, and I believe that God's Word tells us what we do, need to do. We need to leave footprints that point people to Jesus. So as we're passing through in this world, we realize it's not our home. And we see it in other passages of Scripture as well. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. These all died in faith. He's talking about the heroes of faith, basically. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them, greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They realized that this world was not their home. And in the same way, this is not our home, but while we're here, we've been scattered with purpose. Just as these, these Christians were scattered in all the known region because of the persecution, that's why they were scattered, they took the gospel of Christ with them wherever they went. And the same way for you and me, you know, we live in different locations. I live in Arkansas, and the Martins, they, they, live, uh, they live in Nashville. You guys live here in the Tri-City area. And there are other people scattered all over the world. And it's incredible because God has placed us where he has so that we might take the light of the gospel to all places. So we're not much different than them. And as we are here, we realize this is not our home, and we have much purpose, and that is to take the gospel of Jesus to the world. However, here's, where we, here's part of the tension. We tend to live as though this is our home. We tend to make ourselves a home here, and we drive stakes in the ground, when in reality we're just passing through. I've talked with several people who profess to be believers, and they'll say, you know what, I, I just don't want to die. Now, I'm not, I'm not asking for you to sign up on a sign-up sheet today to say who's willing to do this today, right? Who's going to get on the bus and we'll go to heaven? But here's what I will tell you. I long for heaven. I ache to be with Christ. Because this world is not my home. And quite honestly, I don't want to be in this brokenness. But while I'm here, I will make much of Jesus. And I realize that I'm not to drive stakes in the ground, that, that my life is not shaped by or defined by my friendships, my career, my possessions, because all of those are just, it's like sand that slips through your hand. Yet we hold on to this world oftentimes as though this world is our home. Are we to be good stewards of what God's given us here? Absolutely. But this world is not our home. But yet we tend to drive stakes in the ground. And when we're consumed by and consumed with what this world has to offer, we're more consumed by getting that job promotion. We're more consumed with making sure that we have a lot of friends on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever you do. We're more consumed with how much money we make. We're more consumed with status. We're more consumed with the home we live in. We're more consumed with our reputation a lot of times. We're consumed with a lot of things in this world. 
But what we should be consumed with and captivated by the most is that there is a king who has rescued us and who loves us. And he's given us life. And he's given us this message of hope we're going to see in just a second. That we're to take to the world to say there is something more. There's something more. And that's what Peter's getting at. He's saying, listen, we are just, we are just passing through this place. Don't set up camp in a place that's not going to last forever. Understanding that, here's what I've come to, to realize for me in particular. That I need to abandon my affections for the things of this world and abandon myself to the king and the kingdom that's coming. I need to literally abandon my affections for the things of this world. Now, here's what I'm not saying. What I'm not saying is that you should live with tunnel vision, pushing through this life, and not live with eyes wide open to the needs of those who are around you who are desperately in need to hear from you and see in you the glorious gospel of Christ. When I say that we should abandon our affections for the world, I'm talking about this world, the things of this world, not the people of this world, because obviously God loves the world. God loves the people of the world. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. And sometimes I think we rush through that verse, but think about what it says. For God so loved the world. He didn't just love the world. He so loved the world. If I say to my wife, I love you, she's like, all right, cool, it's good. You love me. And if I show her I love her with my actions, then it, it hits home a little, bit, a little bit more. But if I say to my wife, Jen, listen, I so love you. I've just added a whole new dimension to that phrase. And God so loved the world, and he proved it by what he says in the rest of that verse, that he sent his one and only son. That's how much God loves you. That's how much God loves this world. And while we're passing through, we say, I'm willing to abandon the trappings and the affections to this world so that I can really love people. Because here's what I will tell you. You can't love people the way God loves people if you're loving the things of this world that are passing. You can't. Even Jesus made it clear in the principle when he said, you can't love riches and God both because you're going to serve one and hate the other. There's no way you can hold on to the things of this world and embrace the cross. You can't have both. But when I embrace the cross, when I realize what Scripture says, when I realize what the gospel is all about, when I embrace the cross, then I begin to love God with passion and I love people the way God has called me to love people. And as I love them, I love them to the gospel. And I point them to Jesus. The question is, how affectionate are you to the things of this world? Have you set up camp here? Is this, you, this, is, this is where I am. I put my roots down. This is, this is home for me. When you look at Scripture, First John says it best. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and, and pride and possessions is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world's passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. John makes it very clear that we shouldn't love the world, the things of the world. To do so says the love of the Father is not in you. So Peter tells us, we need to understand when we realize who we are in Christ, that we're chosen, we're elect by God as believers in Christ to live in obedience to him, to display the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. When I get that right understanding, I mean, the right perspective, it begins to shape my understanding. And I understand that this world is not my home. Here's the second thing. 
I understand that by God's mercy, I have been born again to a living hope. Listen to what it says. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has called us to be born again to a living hope. Now, oftentimes we use that word hope loosely, right? Like our hope. We weren't going to talk about the football game. Our hope. I have a great lunch today. Or I hope I get that promotion. Or I hope whatever. We use hope that way a lot. But that's not what Peter's talking about here. He said we've been born again to a living hope. He's talking about this, this, this confident expectation. And Peter mentions this word several times, hope, all throughout this letter, this epistle. He says, I want you to understand it's by God's mercy that we have been given. We are born again to a living hope. That in this world we live, we have something great to look forward to. This is not all there is. We have something incredible to look forward to with great expectation. And here's what I will tell you. The level of your expectation for his coming um, is going to be reflected in how you live your life. Does your life speak loudly of how much and how much you long for and anticipate and long for His coming? Or does your life reveal and reflect your longing for something else? When people look at my life, do they see Sean's longing for something this world can't give him? Sean has something that this world can't give, and he's longing for something more. Do people see that? Are you living today in light of a great expectation of what's to come. I've heard people say before that he was so heavenly minded that he was no earthly good. Have you heard that quote before? I've heard somebody say that before. Don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. That's a dumb quote. That's the most erroneous statement you could ever make. The only way you're going to be earthly good is if you're heavenly minded. It's what Paul said in Colossians. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. When we begin to dwell and think on things that are at a heavenly level, when we begin to think about what's going on and what God is doing in the heavens and what He's saying and what His Word has to say, the eternal perspective, that's when we become the most earthly good. And that's what Peter's getting at here. He said, look, we've been born again to this living hope. And we have this hope because Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. He defeated sin and death. The reason we're able to have hope is because Jesus is risen from the dead. And because He's risen from the dead, now we have an inheritance that's imperishable. In this time when they were being persecuted, Christians were being taken, their stuff was being taken left and right. They had nothing. All that they had was the gospel. All they had was one another. That was it. And even in that, their friends were dying. They were being persecuted. Some executed. And so these things were being taken from them. They're having to leave their homes. It reminds me a lot of what's going on in Syria, of how many Syrians have been displaced because of all of the violence and the terrorism that's taking place there. And over a quarter of a million have been killed there. And you begin to think about what's taking place. And those who are Christians in Syria have been have now exiled. They have had to leave their country at the risk of their life. They've left everything. And our biggest fear, I think, on this earth is, I'm afraid I'm about to give up so much. Listen, number one, it's not yours anyway. And number two, it's not going to last. But here's what Peter says. Listen, he says, I want you to get the perspective. I'm trying to give you a perspective here so you can have some understanding, which will shape how you live your life today. And here it is. When you are born again to the living hope of Christ, 
because he's conquered sin and death. You have an inheritance that's imperishable. You have an inheritance that is undefiled. You have an inheritance that's unfading. It's kept in heaven for you. It's, it is reserved for you. And not only that, but God is guarding you for that day. Through your faith for salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last times. See, the truth is, is that if you're a believer in Christ, you've been saved. But the truth also is you're being saved. Salvation is still at work. But there's coming a day when Christ comes that we will be ultimately saved. And that's what he's getting at. So he says, by God's mercy, you've been born again to living hope. So here's my question for you. Have you been born again to a living hope? Because that's a question that some of you may be struggling with right now. There's a fight that's raging in your heart and your mind because you know that you're spiritually dead. You're seeking to find hope in these things that we've talked about that can't give you hope. And the reason why they're not giving you hope is because that which is dead doesn't produce hope. Right? Let me illustrate this way. I could go plant a broomstick in the ground. I could just go by Walmart, get a broomstick, and I could plant it in the ground. And I could fertilize it. And I could water it. I could put it in a place where it gets plenty of sunshine. I could even name that broomstick an apple tree. But no matter how long I wait or how long I look or how much I hope for and put hope in that broomstick to produce apples, it's not going to happen. You know why? Because it's dead. You can duct tape apples on it, but it's still not producing apples. And the same is true for your life in this world. If you've never placed your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of sin, surrendering complete control of your life to Him as Savior Lord, then you're just like a broomstick. You're dead. You can acquire all the things you want. You can achieve all the goals that you've put out there for you. You can receive a lot of applause uh, in this world, but they don't give you life. You are spiritually dead. And all you've lived for is not an inheritance, but a disappointment. And at the end of life, it fades, it dies, it becomes tainted, and ultimately it's taken away, and that is not hope. It's not hope. And I'm going to wrap up with a couple of things here, but what that means is this. There's some of you perhaps this morning, you've never been born again to a living hope. And you're just existing. You know what I'm talking about? You get up in the morning, you go through your routine, you drink your coffee, except for Jonathan, he didn't have his today. You drink your coffee, you have your cereal, Captain Crunch, or whatever, or if you're at that stage, we have to have bran, whatever it may be, right? Um, I'm still Lucky Charms right now. So, but you, you have your cereal, you get ready for work, you go to work, you do your job, you come home from your job, you eat supper, you spend some time with your family perhaps, you watch some news, watch some football, watch um, whatever, TLC, and, so, and, you, and, uh, and, and then you go to bed at night. And you get up the next morning, and you go through the same thing again. And you get up the next morning, you go through the same thing again. And you go through this routine in life, and, you, and inside you, there's something that says there's got to be more. There's got to be more than what I'm experiencing. There's got to be more than life, to life than this. There's got to be more than just living paycheck to paycheck. There's got to be more than just getting a promotion. There's got to be more to life than just getting a new truck, liking it for a couple of years, and then wanting another new truck. And there's got to be more to life than just going to ball game to ball game. There's got to be more to life than just going through the motions. And the reality is that there is. We were created for something more. And some of you are like on a treadmill and you're running and you're exhausted. 
and you wonder why you're not getting anywhere. And it's because you're existing. And here's what I'll tell you. God didn't create you to exist. He created you to live. And the only way you can experience living hope is if you are born again. You give your life to Christ. That's what Peter is getting at. That I need to understand that if I realize have the right perspective, and I position myself in the right way, have the right perspective, it shapes my understanding. I have a living hope. This world is not all there is. Let me finish up with a couple of things. So we talked about this world is not my home. By God's great mercy, um, we're able to be born again to a living hope. And here's the, here's the last thing I want to share with you, that I can understand that my faith will be tested in this world. Look, this isn't all sunshine and rainbows, right? This, in, in this life, your faith will be tested. That's exactly what he's saying here. Listen to what, listen to what Peter gets at. He, he starts talking about here. He says, This salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that, that, that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I love that. Here's what Peter's saying. You will be tested as a believer in this world. Now, here's what will happen. If you're truly a believer, it will refine your faith, and it will deepen your faith, and it will prove the genuineness of your faith. But James talks about that there are those who, when they face trials, that they fade away, that it reveals that they truly weren't in the faith, but they've been playing the game. And here's what I will tell you is true based on what God's Word says. There's coming a day, and I believe we're beginning to see this, that God is purifying His bride. And the way God purifies His bride is through suffering, through trials. And He is separating those who call themselves believers and those who truly are believers. And you're going to continue to see that until the day of Christ comes. That's what Scripture teaches us. And so Peter's saying that it's okay when you go through this, because remember, this world's not your home. You have a living hope. And even if they destroy your body, you have, you have an inheritance waiting for you in heaven. And ultimately, here's what I want you to understand. It's not about the mansion you're going to get that's over the hilltop. Our inheritance is Christ, the treasure of heaven. He is our glorious inheritance. And so understanding this, he's saying that even though you're experiencing these trials, you can still have this joy that is inexpressible because he says, even though you haven't seen him, you love him. I haven't seen Jesus visibly, but I love him with all my heart. Because I believe that he died for me and rose again from the dead. And I believe he's coming back. Even though I don't see him, I love him. You know, I, I don't see my kids right now, but I turn out, I love them. I'm not, my, my wife's not in my presence, but I love her. And if anything, you talk about absence making the heart grow fonder. I used to think that was a bunch of bull, right? But when I think of it in eternal terms, in my absence from you, Jesus, even though you're present with me by your spirit, I want to be with you and not see it in a mirror dimly, but I want to see you face to face. And until that day, my ache, the ache in my heart grows long. Longer, I'm longing for him. So understanding this, he says, you're able to experience 
this inexpressible joy that's filled with glory. And here's what I will tell you. That sincere faith leads to inexpressible joy that radiantly shines the glory of God in a dark world. That's what sincere faith leads to. But if you're just existing, you don't taste this. Your faith will be tested in this world. I'm going to close this story. You heard about this this few days ago, sadly, the tragedy in Oregon where a deranged man walked into a community college and killed a professor and eight of the students. And it's reported and it's been validated by other other sources that, that this man asked those who were in that room to stand up and state their religion. And those who professed to be Christian, he shot in the head. I don't know about you, but the thought of that happening in America was far from my mind a few years ago, but now it's it's the present reality. There's going to be persecution. I wonder if that would have been us in the classroom, what would we have stated? Now, as we sit here, removed from the situation, it's easy for us to say, oh, I would have said, I'm a follower of Jesus. Here's my question to you and, and to me. If we say that, then why do we hide our faith at work every day? If if we say, I would die with you, Jesus, we become a lot like Peter. I'll die with you. Really, really, Peter? Because when it really gets down to it, you're going to deny me three times. And when we go to work and we've got that coworker that would just hammer you if you said that you were a believer, or maybe at school, And those friends that would push you aside if you said you're a believer. You see, we live out our faith. It's tested every single day, not just in the tragic moments of life. So when you're being tested, what is it saying about your faith? Peter says, we're going to be tested. And those who have sincere faith will be able to, with inexpressible joy, radiantly shine the gospel of Jesus in a dark world. Because we realize this world's in our home. And I have a living hope in me. I don't need this world. But while I'm here, I will make much of Jesus. And I will love people to him. So my question for you is, this is just kind of the foundation for where we're going Monday night and Tuesday night. And I have more, but we've got to stop. What is God saying to you? Have you set up camp in this world? I want you to, to think through that. Have you set up camp in this world? In other words, are you living for this world only? And, and before you answer that, what does your life say about that? Because how you're living your life doesn't lie. Have you driven stakes in the ground here? Second, have you been born again to a living hope? Do you know Jesus as Savior, or are you just existing? Are you just going through the motions? Because the only way we'll be able to see our Father in heaven, the only way we're going to be able to spend eternity with Him is if we have the life of Christ in us. And the cool thing about it is we don't have to wait to have life when we get to heaven. Jesus says, I've come to give you life now, and abundantly. So, 
do you have living hope in you? And if not, why not? Because today Jesus says, I'm offering you life. Your life may be a lot like that broomstick. Listen, no matter how much you throw at that broomstick, it ain't going to grow. It's dead. Do you have living hope? And then, last question. When your faith is being tested, is it revealing your sincere faith in Christ? And in those moments, are you still able, able to have inexpressible joy? Because that's what is gloriously radiant in a culture that is so dark. You see, when people say, this is a dark world, what that says to me is, then it gives us the opportunity to shine bright as the light of Christ. So where, where are you? What, what is your position and what is your perspective? And how has that shaped your understanding and how you're living today? I'm going to ask you just to bow with me as we, as we pray. I want you to reflect on those questions. Maybe you'd say, Sean, I'm, I'm not a follower of Christ. Listen, just because you're not Muslim or Hindu or Buddhist doesn't mean you're a Christian. To be a Christian means that you have turned from sin and turn to Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. You've chosen not to exist, but to truly live. Have you made that decision? And if you haven't, at the end of our time together, Joel, Pastor Joel and the elders will be outside these doors and to your left. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Don't leave here today existing. Let Christ save you and give you life and give you hope. Because nothing else will. I want you to prayerfully consider. Are you driving stakes in the ground here? Or are you living in life and in view of eternity? Is your faith genuine? And if not, how's it going to change? Or maybe you do have faith in Christ, but you've somewhat been ashamed. What are you going to do tomorrow when you go to work that's going to shine the light of Christ? So after I pray, Jonathan and Emily are going to sing a song as we close out. Pastor Joel and our el- the elders will be out these doors to your left. If you need to know Jesus as Savior, if you want to expect them hope and living hope, I want to encourage you to talk to them. And then don't forget to join us Monday night. We're going to continue this and see what Peter has to say. God, I pray that as we leave this place in a few moments, that we would leave here with an understanding that you have chosen us as believers in Christ. That we are exiles. We are This world's not our home. God, thank you. Thank you that you have rescued us through Christ, by Christ, to the glorious kingdom of your son Jesus, our king who's coming. 
And until that day, God, I pray that as our faith is tested, that we would let the light of Christ shine, that we would live with inexpressible joy that radiantly shines and displays the beauty of your gospel. Thank you, Jesus, that you give us living hope. We pray this in your name.